1: trying honestly I have been trying I just can't no matter how hard I try bring myself to care about any of these Republican presidential primary debates especially now that it's the fourth time I mean if you think about it it's absolutely ridiculous the 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 people on the debate stage last night have as much of maybe less of a chance of ...of ever becoming president of this country as you do. They have no chance of being the Republican nominee, and they have, certainly have no chance of being president. And, you know, I, again, I, I toyed with the idea of watching it because I, I do like Megyn Kelly. I wanted to see how she would do. But I thought to myself, is this really how I want to spend an hour or two of my time? And the answer came back, Absolutely not. Absolutely not. To see uh, four politicians uh, try to clout, chase, and insult one another, what's the point? I I don't see these debates as having any value whatsoever. I don't see them furthering the cause of uh, my understanding of any issues. I don't see me learning anything about these uh, these particular candidates. I I just think it's a giant waste of time. I think it's in, you know, you've heard the phrase mental masturbation. I think this is uh, just an example of media masturbation. So I I didn't watch a minute of it. And uh, I said, let me spend, instead I read Ted Pages of a book that came out uh, six years ago. And honestly, I think based on what I've heard so far, that was a much better use of my time. So if we're not going to talk about a bunch of blowhard politicians calling one another blowhards, what are we going to talk about? What is important? Well, first things first, it is Pearl Harbor Day. We're going to talk about uh, the Pearl Harbor attack and what that meant to the United States back in 1941, and what it's meant for the last 80-plus years in this country, and some parallels to more recent attacks, including the 9-11 attacks, including the October 7th attacks, and the theory that some people have, that we touched upon this a little bit yesterday, that FDR might have had advanced knowledge that this attack was going to take place. Well, here's something else. That I think is really important, unlike any of the issues that you would have seen raised in this debate yesterday or lack thereof. There was a global exam out yesterday showing American 15-year-old math scores are lagging way behind their peers in the world's industrialized countries. U.S. students saw a 13-point drop in what they call the PISA math results program for international student assessments when compared to the 2018 exam. Now this is so frightening. This is something that everybody should be up in arms about. This is something that everybody should be concerned about and working to fix. You know why? Not because I'm any, any great math whiz. I'm certainly not. And uh, want more people to talk with at my trigonometry club. No, because back in 2018, It was not as if the average 15-year-old was poised to join the faculty of MIT. Okay, I wasn't convinced that 15-year-olds were all that bright back in 2018. So to think in just four years, 2018 to 2022, we have seen a 13-point drop in math scores, this is horrifying. Thankfully, the U.S. did score above the international average in reading and science. So congratulations. If you are an American 15-year-old, when it comes to reading and science, when you're talking about your global peers and your global competition in the rest of the world, you are above average. So this... Test, the PISA of 2022, is the first to take place since the pandemic. It compares the test results of nearly 700,000 students across 81 different countries. 31 countries and economies maintained or improved upon their 2018 scores. So it's not as if every single country went down and we just went down with the rest of the world. No. Children in the rest of the world, I don't want to say they're getting smarter because test scores aren't necessarily an indicia that, of intelligence, but children around the rest of the world are getting better at math, and American teenagers are getting worse. Switzerland, they did better. Japan, they did better. The countries that did better, of those 31 countries, they share some common characteristics shorter school closures during the pandemic. I have said, look, if every day there is new proof that everything that we did during the pandemic was wrong, and right at the top of that list is closing schools and keeping them closed as long as we did. And the, the students in the countries that did well, they had very sco- short school closures. The other thing... Um, that they had in common was fewer impediments to remote learning. Students around the world have suffered historic setbacks in reading and math since COVID. And these setbacks span rich nations, poor nations, big nations, small nations with very few making progress. Multiple studies have highlighted the adverse and stark impact of the pandemic on education. And I think this is so important because eventually they're going, there's going to be another pandemic. I don't know if it's going to be in a year. I don't know if it's going to, we're seeing the beginnings of it now with this white lung disease. I don't know if it's going to be in five years, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, or 75 years. Whoever's in charge of the school system and other aspects of society need to understand what a huge mistake this was we as a society have failed the current generation of school children by allowing these schools to close this is absurd that we are seeing america's students fall farther and farther behind 40 years ago 50 years ago it was unquestionable that america was the world's leader The world's leader in what? The world's leader in everything. Now, does anybody think that's the case? No. And I really shudder to think, if these trends continue, what we're going to be doing going forward. So, if you're interested in uh, what name Chris Christie and Vivek Ramaswamy called one another, uh, I can't help you. But if you want to offer a solution... To how we can get American kids learning again, how we can make progress, not only to beat back the slide that children have gone through over the last five years, but also to maybe advance globally. I'd love to hear from you. 800 848 9222. That's 800 848 9222. Five open lines if you want to comment. I uh, would love to hear not only your solution to this math education gap, but I'd love to know. uh, I mean, I think everybody acknowledges that it was such a mistake to close schools right now. And reading scores did fall a bit as well, but we're still above average there. So nobody is raising the same kind of dramatic calls for concern that they are about the math scores. Where do you think this leaves the country? right now. I mean, look, I'm an optimist. I'm a glass half full kind of a guy. I like to hope that the uh, next generation is going to be better off. But all indications are, at least when it comes to intelligence, they're not. So I find this very disheartening. Hey, uh, today, in addition to Pearl Harbor, is another very noteworthy anniversary. It was 30 years ago today that the Long Island Railroad Massacre took place. And I know we have a lot of listeners around the country. You might think, oh, what's the big deal? It was a shooting on a a railroad 30 years ago. There's shootings every day. Just look at what happened in Las Vegas. Sure. I get it. I get that. Um, This was so significant because it was just... An incredibly unusual story. It was unusual in that uh, somebody came out of that uh, and went to Congress. It was unusual in that the gunman that uh, killed all these people and injured all these people then went on to fire very competent attorneys and then represent himself at trial. It was unusual in that this was someone that had never really given any indication that he was at all violent. Sort of just snapped. So we're going to get into it with uh, someone that was an integral part of covering this and actually a pretty interesting part of the behind-the-scenes aspect of those events itself. We're going to talk with Mike Thompson, who, if you don't remember the name, you will remember the voice if you've been a talk radio listener for a long time in uh, the next 15 minutes. 800 9222 Let me begin with Joe in Lynbrook. Hi, Joe. Joe, uh, let me. Yeah, let me try this one. Joe in Lindbrook. Hi.
2: Hi.
1: How are you? Um, question for you. You're blaming the
2: children for what happened during the pandemic. My opinion is, it's I'm, a blaming I'm blaming us. I'm no, blaming no, 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 us. Every one of us.
1: Hold on a second. All right, it's uh, the teachers that shut those schools down. All right. Well, great. I'm happy to blame them as well. I I think this is something we all need to own. Every mayor, every governor, whoever was president, every teachers union leader and every uh, every PTA member, every school board member. I mean, to think that we sat by now, look, I I don't want to be a Monday morning quarterback because people were very frightened at the time. You didn't know what was going on. People were very concerned. They were in fear for their their, their safety and their children's safety. But, I mean, seeing what went on during this, we owe every child a an apology, quite frankly, because uh, keeping these schools closed set them back potentially for the rest of their academic lives. I realize that may sound to some people like a bit of a... Um, you know, a bit of an exaggeration. I don't think it is. I don't think it is. I think you are seeing, you know, in Japan, uh, they had a decade where their economy was in the doldrums. They called it the lost decade. I think you are going to see a generation of schoolchildren, basically the lost generation of school children, unless we do something about this quickly. And we saw what other countries did. Other countries handled this very well. Switzerland, Japan, not America. Not America. We had better get our act together. 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. You can find us on X as well. At Frank Morano, that's Frank, M-O-R-A-N-O. You can also find us on uh, Facebook. Just uh, search uh, Morano Fan at Facebook.com slash Morano Fan. A little bit later in this program, we're going to talk with uh, Brian Kilmeade as well, go through the news of the day. I think he did watch the debate, so we'll get his take on what this means. Also, I don't know if you heard my interview last week with Brian Kilmeade. But I asked him if he thought that, um, that uh, Kevin McCarthy was going to run for reelection. election his, his suggestion was not only did he think McCarthy was going to run for re-election, but that he was so integral that whoever the next president was should include him in the administration. And it turns out Kevin McCarthy has filed a resignation. Very difficult. I wonder if all those Republicans that were so eager to expel George Santos— I wonder now that once McCarthy resigns, they're only going to have a two-seat majority in the House. I wonder if they would still make that same decision. Norman is in Brooklyn. What's on your mind, Norman? Hi,
0: Frank. Yes, to reverse this catastrophe of the math, we need to have some sort of a national test, a national math test that everybody needs to get behind. So it's a singular path that everybody needs to pass this national math test. And I also I also find it strange that I'm looking at the list here. They uh, for some reason, China is not included in this list. And I venture to say that their math scores are way ahead of us. I just have a a feeling. I don't know why they didn't include them. I don't know why they didn't include Russia. That's a hell of a lot of kids. So,
1: yeah, I I mean, one of the things that I hear when it comes to uh, testing, though, is that there are you know th- that teachers get too into teaching to the tests. I mean, do you share that concern?
0: No, not no, really. No, you don't. Okay. I mean, I think, I think, I think there, I think there, the the stress in education now is not all this social stuff, and I think all this social stuff is important. But uh, I think it's much important that we raise kids who can think critically, and mathematics is. Is important Yeah, is, is important to them. yeah
1: I agree with you Norman I, I mean I don't know um, yeah I mean I think it's important to have a national barometer but I don't know necessarily what giving kids another test that they can't pass would do and uh, as far as Norman's other point about China and Russia not being included they're not part of the OECD uh, the OECD is an inter- intergovernmental organization with 38 member countries and you uh, Russia is sort of an international pariah these days, so it's not a tremendous surprise that they weren't included. But if you look at the countries that were included, the U.K., France, Germany, the Netherlands... Uh, iceland norway mexico belgium new zealand south korea portugal they're very it's a very diverse list of countries different parts of the world different ethnicities different things going on different socioeconomic situations in those countries and i don't know that there's a country that fell as steeply as the united states did eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two Corey's in rockland what's on your mind corey
3: hey frank how you doing um... So, I just uh, wanted to comment on the education decline that uh this country has. I think uh there's a huge uh, a huge amount of of issues that need to be uh really looked into deeply uh one being I don't believe that they hire qualified people to be teachers. I think it's become. Uh, like a civil service job, uh, nothing against – I work in civil service, but nothing against, uh, like, a sanitation, firefighter, police officers. I mean, there are minimum qualifications to get these jobs. And even though I, I understand there's heavy education through to get uh, your school education in a lot of these states, uh, it's, it's a lot of just to push by and, and go because the colleges need to push out people with these degrees and get the money and so on and so such. Not to mention that they focus not on anything anymore that was the ground roots of education, reading, writing, and arithmetic. Now, uh, my son, he can barely spell, and his handwriting is atrocious. Why? Because they—he he, from the age, uh, I want to say second grade, uh, and now the kids even before that are getting laptops uh, of their own. Um, you know, up here in Rockland, I know a lot of uh, communities, it's the same thing. And they're just designed to look for word recognition so they see that you know it's a spell check or auto check or whatever uh you see you start to spell the word you know whatever word you're looking to and then you see it at the bottom or a suggestion of words and it's word recognition and teachers they told me to about my oh that's what we want because this is like a curriculum that they do now either it's because they were told to do that forced to do or they don't know what to do to change it because they want to implement all these computers which don't get me wrong, that's great, but I bet if we go across seas, a lot of these other countries do the computer work, but it's a strict and, like you said, shorter day. Uh, it's a more strict on education, not go home and play video games, and and uh, it's, it's just a, a, a compilation of, of of many things like that that we we need to get back to some roots. But to do that would have to go back old school. And we're in a progressive country. So it's always move forward, move forward, move forward without thinking about what damage we're causing. Yeah,
1: uh, Corey, thank you. I really don't think the problem here is that uh, too many people are using computers. I I think the problem is that we shut schools down. And I, I think it, it, the problem is education in general. The, the prior part of your point i think was was interesting about the qualifications of those that become teachers versus firefighters and sanitation workers i mean is that what would solve this i mean you know i hear from so many teachers and whenever we do the cuz a lot of places including in new jersey for instance a lot of places around the country they're experiencing a teacher shortage and it it's in part survey after survey and even anecdotally from friends of mine that are teachers i hear it that they've made the job so crummy no one wants to be a teacher they not only are is it not a job that you're getting rich at but which was never the case but it's a job that you feel totally disrespected it's a job where you feel handcuffed by the administration by the children by the parents of the children and it's become a job where you really if you're very very smart unless you have a great passion for teaching you could make a whole lot more money and get a whole lot l- less aggravation in another field so maybe maybe that's part of it i don't know but we got to do something about this Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. 848 9222 steve is in Brooklyn. hello steve i'm in brooklyn not Brooklyn. all right well then let me go to vincent in Brooklyn. hello vincent yeah i'm from brooklyn
4: hi frank yeah that's what i like all right all uh, right Frank, in other countries, I I go to Europe a lot. They don't have these problems because what they do is they got to go back to the old school. In other words, instead of the teachers spending a half hour trying to get the kids to shut up, to put their cell phones uh, away, to stop talking, they got to get the kids who are fighting and everything, they got to... They, they don't suspend kids anymore. You got to put them into 600 schools like they used to do in the 50s. Every borough had a 600 school. The really bad kids went there. They didn't change. They didn't have uh, change periods. They didn't go from class to class. They, they stayed in one class. The teacher went in there, so there was there was no roughhousing in the hallways. They got a because there, a lot of kids in the class do want to learn. They do want to get education. But the other kids in the class that are disrupting the class, the teacher's spending so much time trying to get it together, trying to get them to shut up and everything. They gotta go they gotta go back to the old school. And I'm telling you because at one time I I wasn't up to snuff with my reading, and my mother told the teacher, if he's not up to snuff by the end of the semester, I want you to leave him back.
1: Right. Oh, my parents would have said the same thing. I, in fact, I think they did say the same thing.
4: And I got left back. My mother said, leave him back, because she realized that if you can't read, if you can't comprehend what you're reading, you're cooked. Because especially in those days... As the gentleman was talking about with the spell check, there wasn't no spell check. There weren't tablets. There weren't iPhones. There weren't any of. There, there was Webster's dictionary and uh, and a notebook.
1: Well, I mean, also Vincent, though there were days where you would do math using an abacus. Uh, where not in those days anymore. I really don't think the villain is the last part of what you said. No, I don't. I don't think the villain that. is technology.
4: I'm fact that you got to get the rowdy kids under control. You can't have kids that are that are,
1: are taken over the class. I agree with that 100%. Hey, do you think, obviously we see what goes on in New York here. It's just a zoo. Do you think that's a nationwide problem though, Vincent?
4: I think it's a problem of the biggest cities in our country. And I'm sorry to say, I think, I think most of the Democratic uh, big cities that are run by Democratic mayors and Democratic governors
5: are down the toilet. I'm sorry.
1: All right, Vincent, thank you. Silas is on Staten Island. Hi, Silas.
5: Yeah, uh, like I was saying, it's a part of other countries who need to dumb us down. We were, like you said before, we were tops in everything. America was tops in everything, and they knew the only way they're going to take down the giant is by miseducating and misinforming generations of kids. And to, I, I work with I work with guys who are in their thirties and forties, and I can't believe how uneducated they are, and, and so many different things.
1: And imagine and how when, much dumber these kids are than the ones you're working with. So, give me your solution, Silas. What do you think the solution is?
5: Solution is. Uh, things i'm I'm trying to get done is uh, uh, trying to get people to a, a bigger respect for um, not only for education, but for all people in general. And when we were a judeo-Christian society and we emphasized those things, look how much further we went in and in, in everything. And now we're trying to instead of being proud of the culture, that America is and we're trying to uh, bring every other country in. and instead of them assimilating into us into an American culture we're trying to pick and choose each one and then the other part is greed these people fall for this stuff because of Greece you've got a president who doesn't mind Selling, our, um, selling yeah. our
1: intelligence to uh, Yeah, I, I, I honestly, I'm not blaming this on Biden. I mean, uh, th- this is something that, um, I, I mean, you could say Biden is symptomatic of the problem. You know what it is? And this is the problem with talking about issues like this with a political audience, honestly, or with an audience where many of whom is political. You have so many people that whatever the problem is, the problem could be, well, we haven't had nice weather lately. Well. Why do you think we haven't had nice weather? Because the uh, left wing in this country has gotten all these crazy regulations and they won't let you enjoy the nice weather. And then other people say, well, we don't have nice weather because the right wing in this country, they want to pollute like crazy and that's causing climate change. No, I mean, I, I think this is something, what you just said, I think it's too easy an answer. Honestly, I think it's a cop out. And As long as you've convinced yourself that that's the answer, that, oh, just don't vote for those people, then I guarantee you one thing. This will never get solved. Because unless all of us, media people, politicians, civic activists, parents, grandparents, citizens, unless everyone listening cares about this and says, what am I going to do to improve this? then we're still going to go down the tubes. This is going to get worse. If you think this is something as simple as just voting for another political party, it's not. It's not. Sorry. All right. Uh, 30 years ago today, the Long Island Railroad Massacre. We will get into it with someone who has a very interesting connection and observation we're on it. Straight ahead.
0: The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Murano. Oh, no.
1: Side of midnight, it was 30 years ago today that a mass shooting occurred aboard a Long Island railroad train in Garden City Park, New York. Now, if you're under the age of 30 listening to this, you might think, What's the big deal? There's mass shootings every day. If it's not in Buffalo, it's in Las Vegas. If it's not in Las Vegas, it's in uh, South Carolina. If it's not in South Carolina, it's in California. There's one every day. What's the big deal? Well, this it was just such a fascinating story. Every aspect of it was fascinating. As the train arrived at the station, a passenger, Colin Ferguson, began firing at other passengers with a semi-automatic pistol. Six of the victims were killed. Nineteen others were wounded before Ferguson was tackled and held down by other passengers on the train. Ferguson's trial was remarkable for a number of things just how unusual it was he has great attorneys including my friend Ron Kuby he fires these terrific attorneys and insists on representing himself so not only did he represent himself he ends up questioning the victims on the stand understand what what this meant the very same people that he shot on the train he's then cross-examining in the courtroom
0: is it your testimony that the defendant Ferguson stood right in front of you
1: by the way i want to make clear when he says uh, the defendant Ferguson he's talking about himself that's what he's talking about i mean think of how bizarre this is
0: that the defendant Ferguson stood right in front of you and shot you you weren't right in front of me you were about 10 to 12 feet away approximately distance we're at about now the only time you have seen the suspect is on tv because you were playing dead am i correct
1: i saw you shoot me and i saw i've seen you on tv not surprisingly it did not take a jury very long to convict him of Six counts of murder, 19 counts of attempted murder. He's currently incarcerated at Great Meadow Correctional Facility with an earliest possible release date of August of 2309. Now, it's funny. Memory is a funny thing. I've talked about this before in varying contexts. For instance, you know, people remember things that didn't happen and people dwarf things in their own memory that did happen And I, I, for instance, when I was three or four, I have a vivid recollection, a clear as a bell, clear clear as yesterday memory of me misbehaving when I was three or four years old and my father taking this little tool set that I had in a little toolbox and going into our backyard and off the balcony, throwing it into the woods to punish me because I was being so annoying. I've brought this up with my father many times. He insists that this didn't happen. Now, I go back and look at that that, uh, that balcony to the fence uh, distance. It would have been a tough throw for him to make, even somebody as athletic as my dad was. Um, Do I not remember this? Was this a dream that I had when I was a 3-year-old or a 4-year-old? Or does my father not remember? I have no idea. So as I was thinking about this 30-year anniversary of this very bizarre crime i seem to remember that i had a co-worker who not only had a vivid recollection of what it was like to cover this as a member of the media but i seem to remember him telling me that he actually played some sort of a role in colin ferguson knowing how to take the long island railroad now I thought to myself, that can't be. That can't be. How could he have both covered this and had any sort of relationship with Colin Ferguson before that? And I said, let me reach out to him again. Sure enough, my memory did not fail me. And this story is absolutely fascinating. I am very, very pleased uh, to welcome back to the airwaves a gentleman that is uh, no stranger To many of the listeners on many of our stations, Mike Thompson, a veteran talk radio producer and program director, who's now a character actor in Los Angeles. Mike, it's great to talk with you again. Uh, It's
2: great to have a fellow uh, producer, former producer, make good. So it's a pleasure. And uh, I think the last time I was on uh, your station in New York, WABC, was a year prior to the shooting when I was thrust into hosting the morning show with Bruce Anderson, when uh, Curtis Slewa the host of the show that I produced, was shot. So uh, here we are again, and it's a screwy story, very tragic. You know, like you, I'm sure you went back in some of the archives and read some of the particulars and, you know, reading about uh, Rep- Rep New York uh, representative uh, Carolyn McCarthy and her husband being killed, and she... Went into politics, was a big
1: proponent of gun control and, uh, Where do I start? Well, let so let's set the stage for people. Mike, Um, you've had a career in radio that goes back almost a half century. For instance, even though this is your first time as a guest on this program, you're heard on this program every December because you're a voice in the 1981 version of WMCA's "A Christmas Carol" with Bob Grant as Ebenezer (laughs) Scrooge. So, uh, if when I think of somebody that's worked in radio forever, not that you're that old, but I think of you. So, what were you doing <laughs> on, in December of 1993 professionally? Where were you well, at that point in your life? Well,
2: I, I was producing the morning show with uh, Curtis Slewa, founder of the Guardian Angels, still heard in New York, and many people around the country know from his appearances on many network television shows, and his then wife, Lisa Slewa. They were called Angels in the Morning. And for those of you not in the radio business, or a cop, or a fireman, or someone that opens up a Dunkin' Donuts at uh, five in the morning, you know, Frank, the the life of a morning show producer is uh, bizarre. You're up uh, very early in the morning, in the station, probably about four thirty, uh, starting your prep. And frankly, this was before computers. And just to tell you, when I would track down guests, I booked about. Six guests, phone guests on the fly every morning before the Internet. Many times I would be in what was called a Cole's reverse directory. If I had a name of somebody in the news, I would go through the phone book and wake up every John Smith in Brooklyn <laughs> to put them on the freaking radio. Right. So anyway, um, I'm at home in a place called Little Neck, New York. I live right near the train station so I could catch the train. First thing in the morning, at that time, uh, WABC uh, was at right above Penn Station, and it was very easy to come up the escalator, go to work. So um, when you're a producer of a radio, you have weird hours of when you sleep, when you nap, and so forth. So um, I had one of the first Motorola brick phones, big brick Motorola cell phone, and I was fortunate not to have to grab a, you know, a uh, pay phone back in the day. But um, I believe I had a police scanner. So I'm sitting at home, probably drowsy because I had to get up the next morning, and produce the show. And I heard some activity going on on Long Island. And I heard Maryland Avenue, It's a station in Garden City, New York, on the Long Island Railroad, what, about 25 minutes from... New York City, from Penn Station. So I get in my car, little Volkswagen, um, with New York press plates, and I drive to the station, and I was able to get pretty close to the station near the platform because I had the press plates, and Frank, um, to this day, it still haunts me seeing corpses, dead bodies, with blood against the window of the train, with the head leaning against the window. Victims, some of the six victims and perhaps some of the 19 injured that were shot. It Mm. was haunting. It still is. And, of course, later in this story, we'll tell you even more haunting. But So I get on my brick phone, and I call our program director, John Minnelli, the genius who's probably listening in Omaha, Nebraska right now. And uh, I said, look, you know, I'm listening to our station and we have G Gordon Liddy on the air on a tape show, I think. And he's talking all about guns and (laughs) buying guns and blah, blah, blah. They go, John, we got (laughs) to, this, this is going to be a big story. We got to do something about this. So we brought in a host, um, I guess then uh, Jade Diamond was more of a weekend host or part-time host, and we put him on the air. And I'm phoning in live reports from the scene, Maryland Avenue, the train station, and just describing what I saw—the horrific sights of, of this incredible massacre. Uh, of course, most of the area was—and—and and so for folks that are out of New York. Uh, Garden City is a extremely affluent community on Long Island, Nassau County, and um, seeing the the police and the fire and the ambulances and the cordoned off train station um, was just a, a sight with a, a lot of people wondering what was going on. So I'm calling back. Finally, we get Jay on the air, and I'm describing what uh, is going on and. For those of you that don't know Jay Diamond, and I'm sure, you know, 30 years later, maybe he's changed, but Jay could be riled up quite easily. Is that a fair a fair assessment? Uh,
1: fr- yes, I think that I think he would admit that that's a fair assessment. Yeah. Yes.
2: <laughs> so, he is screaming on the phone as I'm trying to relate everything that I'm seeing and he's going, you know, this is a, you know what this is going to be? This is going to be black rage. Everyone should get torches. And like the movie Frankenstein, and go down to Mineola to the Nassau County
1: courthouse, and yeah, blah, blah blah. And they go, okay, well, Jay, we don't really know any information right now. Mike, let me, me ask you a quick question. At at, at at this point, had there been an identification of the suspect at the time yeah, that you would... they identified him as a black
2: man? Gotcha. Yes. Okay, gotcha.
1: That's, that's correct, and that's mm-hmm. what set Jay off. Got it.
2: And and frankly, although it was very reactionary, it was somewhat prescient, as we find out. Later on in the story. And and so I probably stayed there till about maybe this time, (laughs) uh, one or two in the morning and then got a few hours of sleep and went in to to do the morning show at WABC. And obviously this was a a big subject. And as you mentioned, the these mass shootings weren't uh, commonplace Mm -hmm. and especially in Garden City, New York, Um, you know, it just doesn't happen. So, um, you know, a couple of months or weeks go by, and they identify the subject. And literally, Frank, I almost passed out. Happenstance is a weird thing on how twists of fate can intertwine with parts of your life. During a lull in my 50-year radio career, I had to get a job, and I was working as a recruiter, essentially a salesman, at a trade school in Westbury, New York. Those of you in New York would know exactly where it is, Ellison Avenue, where the DMV was at one time. I don't know whether it's still there. And the way these trade schools work is they advertise on the kind of non-network stations in New York, Channel 9, Channel 5. And the person calls in the ads run during the day when maybe someone's not working, et cetera, et cetera. And, and they call into the to the school and a person like me would answer and essentially recruit them to come in to take a test and, you know, try to wrap them up mm-hmm. in financial aid and enroll them. Sure. And many of these schools were, well, let's say they're not quite legitimate. This particular school, and I think they're out of business, was a computer school. To tell you how backward in time this was, it was a school that showed people how to use mainframe computers. PCs weren't even really thought about. (laughs) So we had an IBM 4350 or some freaking machine like that. So this kid calls in from Brooklyn. And one of the problems that the school had and why they eventually closed is that the most of the leads were from Brooklyn and Queens. So we're in Westbury, New York, which is about, what, 20 minutes out of the city, out of Manhattan. And there is no public transportation that people in Brooklyn and Queens are familiar with. They're familiar with the subway system and the buses.
1: Right. The N train, the, the 4 train. Right.
2: Absolutely. So you had to... Show them, or tell them, walk them through to go to Flatbush Avenue, which was the terminal for the Long Island Railroad at the time, um, and had them take the train to Westbury, New York, walk down Post Road, and go to Ellison Avenue where this thing was. So, I get a call. This is probably what three years prior to ninety-three, and um, gentleman from. Brooklyn from the islands, Jamaica calls me up and um, I tell them how to take the train, Long Island Railroad, you know, stopping then probably what, at, uh, um, trying to think uh, of the different stops. Jamaica is obviously the big thing. And then you take the train, Maryland Avenue, Carl Place, Westbury, Mineola, blah, blah, blah. And so I tell this kid how to take the train. He comes in, takes the test, aces the test. It was a legitimate test. 100% perfect. Wow. I meet with him. I hear his background. He comes from an incredible family in Jamaica. Very uh, well-to-do, high up in government. And um, that kid
1: was the shooter. Colin Ferguson That is absolutely amazing. I mean, I've always wondered what was his deal was, what kind of caused him to to snap. In uh, other documentaries about this case and if people are just tuning in. We're talking with Mike Thompson, a veteran a Talk Radio producer and program di- director. These days he's an actor. He covered the Long Island Railroad shooting for WABC 30 years ago. But um one of the things that I hear from police that spoke with Ferguson afterwards is he seemed to tie everything to racism. He uh, kept pointing out instances that he felt discriminated against or that were somehow unfair to either him specifically or to black people. Did you get the sense when you interacted with Ferguson either in giving him directions on how to take the train or uh, dealing with him on the test or anything along those lines, did you get the sense that he had any sort of a chip on his shoulder or any sort of racial animus? None. None. What I got was a very
2: well-educated very um nice gentleman kid who um was in this country. And believe me, I I am not one to speak about race and all the ramifications and permeations of race and so forth, but I can tell you knowing some people from the islands um guy that I helped along in his career, Stephen A. Smith, other people. Um, you know, it's a t- And if you've ever been to the islands, you probably have, Frank, mm-hmm. you're a big spender. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> totally different culture. So I only surmise just on basically the stories I've heard about him, but meeting him in that instance is here he is in Brooklyn. And I'm sure, you know, there's a big Jamaican community in Brooklyn. I'm not sure whether he was tied into that. But the cultures of an islander who happens to be um, a black islander and perhaps those some of those in Brooklyn um, is totally different. And I'm guessing and the stories that maybe he relates bear it out that it was a. and I know there were a lot of things with it. You know, he lost people from cancer sure. and all kinds of, you know, he had a tough life. I think his just, his freaking head exploded and he went crazy. Uh, and and here I am still to this day, feeling guilt that, you know, if I didn't enroll this guy into school and teach him how to, because the question always, when you had these leads on the phone for Brooklyn or Queens, well, what train do I take out there? I go, well, <laughs> it's the Long Island Railroad. What? What's that? Okay. Is that the D train? I go, no, 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 no. So, you know, here is this guy transplanted from this life that he had in Jamaica. Um, and he's just in Brooklyn. And, you know, well, you could fill in the blanks, probably yeah. what he felt, whether it was justified or not. Certainly not. But, you know, it's a culture shock.
1: Uh, uh, That is wild. And and the reason that you mentioned Jay's commentary uh, of black rage being prescient, it was because his lawyers, before he fired them and represented himself, uh, Kunstler and Kuby, that was their defense, that he was driven to temporary insanity by this psychiatric condition they called black rage. Very interesting. Hey, uh, Mike, thanks for uh, letting us uh, tap into uh, your brain and uh, stroll down memory lane. Uh, Let's talk again. Absolutely, Frank. Great uh, to hear you, and uh, you're probably
2: on every radio station I've programmed throughout the country. Uh, So, hello!
1: (laughs) Take care, and have a wonderful morning. We'll take it. Thank you, Mike Thompson. uh, Great to hear his voice again. If you want to comment, 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. 30 years ago today, the Long Island Railroad Massacre. Wow. Straight ahead.
0: The Other Side of midnight. Midnight other side of Midnight
1: with Frank Murano. This is Tears for Fears. Everybody wants to rule the world. This is a a bumper music selection from Mike in New Jersey, our listener of the week. And uh, it was got quite a diverse and exhaustive list that you will be hearing throughout the program. All right, 800-848-9222, a lot to get to, including Brian Kilmeade, including Pearl Harbor. Let me say hello to, um, you know, those of you that are holding, uh, just, well, let me squeeze in one call here if we can make it quick. Carol in Yonkers, hi.
0: Oh, good morning. Hi, how are you? I just had a quick um, uh, commentary. It was interesting to hear the gentleman speaking about Colin Ferguson. Uh, I was telling the screener, I just happened to be in the middle of the Caribbean. Um, I remember December 5th, 1993 was the Sunday we left for St. Martin. And then on Thursday, in the middle of nowhere, I think we were in one of the islands, um, we had heard what happened in Long Island. And, of course, you know, the nucleus of our group, we were all from New York, and we were all shocked and upset being so far away. Now, this was, there was no cell phone then.
1: Yeah, Carol, I can imagine that was quite a shock to hear about while you're on vacation. Wow. All right. Those of you that are holding, we'll try and get to you after the top of the hour. Meantime, keep asking questions.